Good day once again, brethren from all the Living Word churches all over the Philippines, Luzon, Visayas, Mindanao, and also in different parts of the world. I'd like to be able to greet as well all the brethren who have been listening to our uh, live videos and even our pre-recorded videos. I'd like to greet our brethren even as far as Croatia. We would like to greet our brethren from New Zealand, Australia, the United States, the United Kingdom, Canada, uh, Middle Eastern countries like Riyadh, uh, Saudi Arabia, Abu Dhabi, Dubai. We'd also like to greet people from Southeast Asia, from Singapore, Indonesia, Thailand, Taiwan, Malaysia, Hong Kong. Thank you for viewing us. And I hope that as we continue to study the Word of God, we will all be edified and we would all be greatly blessed. Today, I'd like to share to you Psalm 16. The title of today's sermon is The Blessed Life of the Genuine. So, can we all rise, please, from our seats and let's all read together aloud Psalm 16. Psalm 16, a miktam of David. Preserve me, O God, for I take refuge in you. I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good besides you. As for the saints who are in the earth, they are the majestic ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who have bartered for another God will be multiplied. I shall not pour out their drink offerings of blood, nor will I take their names upon my lips. The Lord is the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You support my lot. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Indeed, my heritage is beautiful to me. I will bless the Lord who has counseled me. Indeed, my mind instructs me in the night. I have set the Lord continually before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will dwell securely. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand there are pleasures forever. Shall we bow our heads at this time, close our eyes, and let's come before the Lord and pray. Our Heavenly Father, once again we come before you with thanksgiving in our hearts. We are continually blown away by your faithfulness towards us. Even though at times we are faithless, Lord, you remain faithful to us. You are indeed a covenant-keeping God. All of the promises that you make to us, you fulfill them, O Lord. We thank you, O God, because we sense your, your care, your compassion, your loving kindness towards us. Day by day, we experience your love. Day by day, we encounter you in the circumstances of our lives. And we see your providential dealings. We see, Lord, that you are a God who watches over us. The Lord who hears. 
the Lord who sees. The Lord who puts our tears in your bottle. And we give thanks to you, O God. And so right now we pray once again that you might minister to your people. Lord, today is your day. And today is Communion Sunday. And we decide to celebrate the cross. We decide to exalt Jesus Christ. And we know that we cannot do that apart from the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So Lord, we declare that we believe in the Holy Spirit. We believe in His power. We believe in His convicting power in our lives. So I submit myself to you, O God, as your mouthpiece. Lord, use me for the glory of your name and use me to bless your people, to instruct them, to encourage them, to build them up, to fire them up, O Lord. I trust, Lord, that the Holy Spirit is at work in every home right now where this video is being watched and listened to. And so, Lord, whatever is going to be achieved today, we will give you back the glory, the praises, and the thanks. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen and amen. Praise the Lord. I've always said that crisis reveals who you are. And I believe that in this pandemic crisis, we're beginning to discover who we really are. We're beginning to determine whether we are genuine Christians or not. You see, I have encountered a lot of people who have asked me this question. If you are really Christians, why is it that we find conduct unbecoming even among you? There seems to be no difference with the way you live, with the way we live. If we are worldly, you call us worldly, why is it that we see worldliness as well in you? Why is it that you do not behave and conduct yourselves in a manner that glorifies your God? Why is it that there are still some who call themselves Christians and yet live perverse lives? They live very worldly lives bereft of any godliness. Yes, you are religious. And yet I do not see any holiness, any righteousness in your life. My answer to those questions and to those criticisms are actually very simple. In fact, I can answer it in one way. I believe the reason why there are some Christians who are behaving in such a manner that is not glorifying to God is because they are not really Christians at all. In the same manner that we look at certain items and we know that some items are the genuine article and some items happen to be counterfeit, that is likewise true for those who profess Christianity. There are those who are fake and there are those who are the genuine article. And I gave an example which I've often used on so many occasions. I think this is but a fitting illustration. Just because people gather in church, just because they hold on to a Bible, just because they preach, does not necessarily mean that they are genuine believers 
in Christ. If you happen to put a cow inside a garage for 100 years, it will not make the cow a car at all. The same thing is true for those who call themselves Christians and gather themselves together with believers in a church facility. Just because they are in a church building does not in any way prove that they are genuine Christians. Now definitely, if we look into the Bible, we find there are those who are fake ones and there are those who are genuine ones. And one of those who are genuine believers, one of those who happen to be a genuine believer, is David himself. And we know that to be true because God himself gave him a tribute that he was a man after God's own heart. And so looking at this psalm, which is actually a psalm of David, we are able to see here how genuine faith looks like. The genuine faith of David and the genuine faith of those who call themselves believers in Christ. Likewise, in this passage, we see the blessed life of those who have a genuine relationship with the Lord. Indeed, to be a Christian is a blessed life. Allow me to share to you two points at this time. First of all, in verses 1 to 5, we find how genuine faith looks like. In verse 1, faith trusts in trials. In verse 2, faith has singular devotion. In verse 3, faith delights in God's people. In verses 4 to 5, faith has no other gods. Now in part 2, or the second major point, in verses 6 to 11, we find how genuine faith is rewarded. Verse 6, we have the reward of heritage. In verse 7, the reward of counsel and instruction. In verses 8 to 9, the reward of stability and security. In verse 10, the reward of resurrection. And in verse 11, we find the reward of a full life and full joy. Now, as I've always done, I always give a background study. And that is why when you study the Psalms, don't just read the verses. You need to read the superscription. You need to read the title as well. Because the title might actually give you a little background. And so, in the title of this Psalm, it says, A Miktam of David. Now allow me to quote to you from the Liberty Bible Commentary. It says, The word miktam may be understood to mean the golden psalm, or may simply be derivative of the word signifying to hide, indicating the depth of a doctrinal and spiritual truth that is a mystery. Now indeed the psalm talks of deep, doctrinal and spiritual truth because its ultimate fulfillment is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, as we very well know, the Lord Jesus Christ himself mentioned in the Gospels that the Scriptures actually witness to himself. They point 
to the Lord Jesus Christ. All the things that we find in the Old Testament, including the tabernacle, including the temple, including the sacrifices, the rituals, the ceremonies, all of these things actually point or foreshadow the ministry and the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in the book of Psalms, there are actually Psalms which are called Messianic Psalms. Why? Because they prophesy somehow about the life, the death, and even the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this Psalm actually is one of those Psalms. It can actually be classified a Messianic Psalm. This Psalm relates to Christ as Peter used verses 8 to 11 of this psalm in Acts chapter 2, verses 25 to 28, to speak about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul likewise used verse 10 of this psalm in Acts 13, 35, once again to speak about Christ's resurrection. So this psalm of David actually prophesied of the greater son of David. And this is something that we also have to understand. There is such a thing as the Davidic covenant. And you and I know that God made a promise to David. And in this promise that he had given to David, God said that he would have a son. And one of the things that we determine about this son is that he not only comes from the line of David, but he was the greater son of David. And that is what the New Testament is all about. We find that not only the greater son of David, we find a better covenant, we find a better sacrifice, we find a better priesthood. And so we find that although the Old Testament actually serves as a foundation of truth for the New Testament, we have to see the New Testament as the ultimate fulfillment of God's prophecies and promises. And that is why, once again, in this psalm, we find the Lord Jesus Christ as the greater son of David as he fulfills the prophecy relating to his resurrection. Now, but aside from its prophetic value, I'd like to be able to say that this psalm has relevance, not only in terms of the prediction regarding the death and the resurrection of Christ, it has relevance for our own lives. As I mentioned to you, in here we find how the genuine faith of David actually looks like. And so with David being our model, being our example, we can actually take stock of ourselves and see if we happen to have the genuine article or the genuine faith. We will be able to see if our faith is truly something that determines a or evidences a genuine relationship with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So let's have a look at verses 1 to 5 as we take a look at how genuine faith looks like. 
Verse 1 tells us that faith trusts in trials. Verse 1 reads, Preserve me, O God, for I take refuge in you. Now we don't know the exact occasion that happened to David, why he was crying out to God, Preserve me, O God. It might be that he was facing some danger in the wilderness. It could also be that there might have been opposition to his reign. Or as some scholars would propose, they would say that maybe he was sick at that time. Now, regardless of the occasion, what you and I know is that there was a clear and present danger to the life of David. Now, David knew where to turn to during those times. Now, this psalm is actually called a psalm of confidence. And rightly so, because David put his confidence in the Lord and in the Lord alone. Now, as we are facing this pandemic crisis, we are right now in general community quarantine. The restrictions have been loosened somewhat, but the numbers in our country and in our own city have still been spiking up. So in our situation, there is still a clear and present danger as well. So we can relate to what David was praying here, and we can probably say, just like David, preserve me, O God. Now life will always have its threats, and life will always have its challenges. And a genuine believer does not turn to money, to connections, to influence, to power, and human, human wisdom in times of crisis. He always turns to the Lord. And that is something that I would like to give to you, brethren, as a piece of advice in this pandemic crisis that you and I are going through. Let us not rely on other things. Let us not rely on our own resources. Let us not rely on our own human wisdom. Let us not even rely on our own strategies and our own good planning. Because the Bible says in the book of James that we cannot boast about tomorrow for we do not know what tomorrow holds. But at the same time, you and I are not to walk in fear. We are not to be paralyzed by the terror that surrounds us. But rather, we are to put our full weight of trust in the Lord and let us take it one step at a time, one day at a time. As the Lord Jesus Christ wisely gave us his wisdom in Matthew chapter 6, he says that today has enough problems in itself. So we are to allow tomorrow to take care of itself. So we do not know what the future holds, but we have a God who holds the future. And this is exactly what David knew here. Now when he called God, he used the Hebrew word El, which means the omnipotent one or the all-powerful God. And that is how we are to see our God. We are not to see our God with his hands tied at his back, 
We are not to see God as paralyzed or taken by surprise with this pandemic crisis. We are to see a God who is seated on His throne. We are to see a God who is sovereign. We are to see a God who is controlling all the affairs of men, all the circumstances that touch our very lives. And we are to see that He is all-powerful, that He can actually take care of His own people. He can take care of His sons and His daughters. We are to remind ourselves that we have this genuine relationship with the Lord and that the Lord sees us, He hears our cries, and He is a prayer-answering God. That when we call upon Him, that when we cry upon Him, let us remember what the psalmist said, that He puts our tears in His bottle. God remembers every single petition that we make. God remembers every single intercession that we make. God understands the groaning of our hearts. God understands the pain and the hurts and the fears that you and I have. And He is here, brothers and sisters, to tell us that He cares for us, that He loves us, and that He will minister to us, not only in His loving kindness, but He will minister to us in His own power. Because that is what the word El means. It is an all-powerful God. David says here once again in verse 1, Preserve me, O God, for I take refuge in you. Now you and I know that a refuge is a place of safety. And yes, safety is not the absence of danger. But safety is being in the very presence of God. Are we in the very presence of God? Yes. The book of Acts says to us, in Him we live and move and have our being. There is no place in this entire universe where God is not present. He is present everywhere. When you're riding the jeepney, when you're riding the bus, when you go to your offices, when you go to your school, when you go back home, God is there. Every nook and cranny of this world is actually filled by the presence of God. In fact, the entire universe is not even enough to be able to contain the entirety of the person of God. That is why the Bible says that even heaven and earth cannot contain God. Why? Because it is God who fills the entire universe. God is bigger than the universe. We usually think that the universe is infinite. The universe is not infinite. It is God who is infinite. And because God is infinite, He fills every corner of this entire universe in every galaxy and every star in every planet. Here on planet earth, God is present. And we take comfort in that, that our God is an almighty and all-powerful God. So again, if we have genuine faith, we will trust God in trials. If we trust in other things, 
If we trust in our own personal circumstance, if we trust in our own power, if we trust in our connections, resources, then is it possible that you do not have a genuine relationship with the Lord? Because the ones who have a genuine relationship with the Lord know where to run to, know where to turn to, and it is turning and running to God himself because he is our refuge. Now, in verse 2, we find another characteristic of genuine faith. Genuine faith has singular devotion. Allow me to read verse 2. David says, I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good besides you. Now, this is David's statement of faith. You might even call it his declaration of faith. And what he is saying here is that God will have no rivals in David's heart. God is David's highest good. Can we say the same thing as well, brothers and sisters? Can we say that God happens to be our highest good? Can we honestly say that God has no rivals in our hearts? Can we honestly say that God is more important than our money? That God is more important than our career? That God is more important than our business? That God is more important than our job, our security, our family? God is the be-all and the end-all of our lives. Can we truly and honestly say that? Because David had singular devotion to the Lord. He had consecrated himself unto the Lord and unto the Lord alone. Now we find here that there are two other names of God that are used by David in this psalm. One of the names that he uses of God is the name Yahweh, which speaks about the covenant giving and the covenant keeping God. Now that is who our God is. When God makes a covenant with his people, when God makes a promise to you, his people, you can be sure that God will keep his covenant and God will keep his promise. That is one thing that we understand with our God. We know that whatever he says to us, because he is not a liar, he will fulfill it. We can trust his word. There is a saying in Spanish, palabra de honor, which means word of honor. Our God can be trusted because his word is a word of honor. We can trust whatever he says because whatever he says, he will fulfill no matter what. And there is nothing in this world there is no demonic power, no demonic force, no calamity, no pandemic crisis that can prevent God from fulfilling His promises to His people. And that is why, again, let us dig deep into the Scriptures. Meditate on the Bible. For there we will find the comforting promises, the reassuring promises of God to us, His children. Now, another name that David uses here in this psalm is Adonai, which means Lord and the master of life. 
And basically by the use of all these terms, the word El, the word Yahweh, the word Adonai, what does that tell us? That God is our everything. Whatever our need might be, whatever our questions might be, whatever doubts you and I might have, whatever fears you and I might have, God is the answer to every question, to every fear, to every challenge, to every trial that you and I have. And that is why if God fulfills every need that you and I have, therefore our hearts are able to rest in the Lord. And that is what I want us to do at this time. To rest in the power of God. To rest in the presence of God. To rest in the promises of God. For that is our only hope. If we look around us, there is nothing to hold on to. There is nothing to grasp or cling on to. There is nothing that is really stable. Everything in this world is practically shaking. The political world is shaking. The economic world is shaking. The health system, the health world is likewise shaking. Everything in this life that we now know of is shaking. Everything is insecure and unstable. So where do you run to? You run to the God who is our Adonai, who is the master of life. You run to Yahweh, who is the covenant giving and keeping God. You run to El, who is the almighty and omnipotent, the all-powerful God. That is whom we run to. We run to this almighty and all-powerful God who has elected us and chosen us to become his children. And once again, that is what you and I need to do. And because God is our everything, this is the reason why he should have no rivals. God and God alone should occupy the seat of our hearts, the seat or the throne of our hearts. We must learn how to die to ourselves, die to our ambitions, die to our dreams, Dry to any worldly affection that you and I have. And let it be that our only affection be unto the Lord. And as we seek God's kingdom first and His righteousness, we are assured, as the Bible says, that all these things shall be added unto us. Our Heavenly Father, after all, is a good Father. He is a compassionate Father. He understands our needs. Actually, those needs were created by God. Why? That you and I might depend on Him. God did not create us to be independent of Him. God did not create us to be self-sufficient. God did not create us to be self-adequate. All the lack that you and I find in ourselves, the neediness that you and I have, the lack, the insufficiency, the inadequacy is thereby designed by God because we have been wired by the Lord to depend and trust in Him and in Him alone. And because He is the God who supplies our needs. 
He is the God who fills whatever need you and I have. He alone should occupy the throne of our hearts. He is the only one we should put on a pedestal to be worshipped, to be adored, to be admired, to be revered, to be worshipped, to be served, and to be loved. He alone deserves the highest praise in our lives. And that, by the way, is how you know if your faith is genuine. If God has no rivals in your life, if you have a genuine relationship with the Lord, you will have this singular devotion to God and God alone. Now aside from this, what else do we discover? What else would be another characteristic of genuine faith? We find it in verse 3. Faith delights in God's people. Allow me to read verse 3. As for the saints who are in the earth, they are the majestic ones in whom is all my delight. Now what do we see here in so far as the genuine faith of David is concerned? We find that David delighted in God's true remnant. He delighted in God's people, those who were true and genuine worshipers of the Lord. Why? Because they were God's chosen people. This was the delight of David himself. Now similarly, if we have genuine faith, we will delight in those who have a true and genuine relationship with the Lord. And that's why if you are a genuine believer in Christ, you will love the church. You will love everybody who belongs to the genuine church of Jesus Christ. You will love those who love and apply the scriptures. You will love those who have made Jesus Christ the Lord and Savior of their lives. You will love those who confess their statement of faith which comes from the Bible. In other words, you love those who are genuine believers in Christ. Now let me just tell you this. If you happen to hate the church, if you happen to hate some people in the church who do have a genuine relationship with the Lord, that to me is a big question mark as to the genuineness of your salvation. Because as we very well know, even in our own families, in our own families, we might have certain frictions and certain issues between siblings, between parents and children. But you know, at the end of the day, we will always be family. Let me just share to you a story from my boyhood days. You see, when I was uh, a teenager, I loved playing basketball. My brother also loved playing basketball. But there were actually occasions when, because of our being so competitive, we would end up in fights with our, uh, with our playmates. Now, if you recall my testimony, I shared to you that our family was actually dysfunctional. My brothers actually, my brothers and I actually hated each other. We would have uh, food on the table, we would have lunch, we would have dinner, but we would never talk with each other for years. 
And of course, that changed when we came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. But then again, going back to my story about basketball, even though my brother Jess, for example, did not really like me or had a grudge towards me, whenever I got into a fight, my brother had my back. My brother would always fight for me. And that's something about families. Families will always come together. Why? Because they have the same flesh and blood. Well, let me just tell you this. We always say blood is thicker than water. But let me tell you this. The indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit that lives and dwells in every genuine believer of Christ is thicker than blood. And that is why the Bible says, Paul says in the book of Galatians, do good to all men, but especially, especially to those who belong to the household of the faith. The household of the faith would always be our priority, even as we do good to all men. And so again, there would be a serious question mark to your relationship with the Lord if you happen to hate those who have a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ. Allow me to quote to you 1 John chapter 2 and verse 9. It says, The one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. Now, I'd like you to know I did not say that. This is coming from John the Beloved. And he's saying that if you hate your brother, and this is in reference to a brother in church, he is saying that you are still in darkness until now. In other words, your conduct, your character, your heart reveals if you have a relationship with God or not. If you happen to hate the church, if you happen to hate believers in the church, then that is a clear indication that genuine, that genuine salvation has not yet arrived in your life. Now, it will be an opportunity for you now to come before the Lord and ask God, Lord, if I do not have a relationship with you, a genuine one, Lord, I'd like to have one. One that is real. One that is sincere. One that is heartfelt. One that is genuine. Continuing on, it says, verse 10. The one who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. Again, clearly, the Bible says, the one who loves his brother abides in the light. Now, this the light of life that Jesus Christ was talking about. That means that if you love your brother, it is a sign that you are truly a child of God. In fact, the Lord Jesus Christ mentioned in the Gospels that you would know those who are truly His disciples by the love that they have. It says in verse 11, But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Now, one of the testimonies I'd like to share to you 
is that when I came to Jesus Christ, I no longer enjoyed the company of my old friends, my worldly friends. Why? Because I was no longer comfortable with their cussing, their cursing, the bad words, the drinking, the drug addiction, or the drugs that they were taking. I could no longer take those things. And so what happened was I began to develop a new set of friends. And those happened to be those who belonged to the church. And, you know, it was so easy for me to, to really have a warm relationship, regardless of age, whether they were young, whether they were young teenagers. In fact, when I joined the youth ministry, I was a little overaged. I was in my early 20s, whereas many of those who belonged to the youth ministry were actually much younger than me. There were those who were 13 years old, 14 years old, but I enjoyed their company. In fact, I enjoyed the fact that they had a wisdom that was beyond their years. I could go well with, with others who were my age, and I was fine with those who were older than me. It did not matter. Why? Because we spoke the same language. We were all on the same page. We had the same heart and the same affections. Our direction, the direction of our lives were towards Christ. And because of that, we gravitated towards each other. Now, most definitely, there were times of frictions. There were times wherein there were conflicts and issues that needed to be resolved. But they were always resolved. There was always forgiveness. There was always reconciliation. Why? Because we belong to one household. We have the same Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will not allow us to rest if there is bitterness and unforgiveness in our hearts. And that is why if we have bitterness in our hearts, the Holy Spirit will convict us of that. And the result of that would be repentance and then a confessing of sins to one another and then a restoration of relationship. That is what happens when you have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not at all saying that we should give up our worldly friends in the sense that we give up our friendship. In fact, we should remain friends with those who were our old companions, those, those who happen to be our worldly friends. Of course, that being the case, we are no longer to enjoy their worldly ways, but we should use the friendship that we used to have as a means to evangelize them. And that is exactly what I've done. I recall sharing to my best friend, D. Quirino, and I recall that at that time, the gospel somehow had not yet penetrated his heart. Why? Because my best friend was a very good, very upright and righteous person. I mean, humanly speaking, he was a very good person. He was a very good and loyal friend. And that is why I would imagine I was probably not the only one who was looking at him as my best friend. I believe there were others who saw him as a best friend. 
because he was always giving, he was always loving, he was always sharing. That was the kind of person that he was. And so in my initial sharing of the gospel to him, I believe that I was not able to penetrate his heart. But then later on, he became a Christian. In fact, uh, he became an elder of a church. He is right now a Bible teacher and a very good one at that, a very sound one at that. And he told me that although he did not accept Jesus Christ during the time that I shared the gospel to him, the seeds of the gospel were planted in his heart. And as a result of that, he came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Now that was also true in the case of my dear friend and pastor Ricky Benitez, who is now a pastor in the Lord's lampstand in Bacolod. He initially accepted the Lord Jesus Christ, but because of an unanswered prayer, a prayer that was not answered by the Lord, for good reason perhaps, uh, he sort of uh, complained to the Lord and that brought him into a place of backsliding. But then he was surprised because one time I was doing this Bible study for the family and he was actually uh, courting or I think one of the members of that household was his girlfriend. And so he was invited to join that Bible study. In that Bible study, by the way, we had uh, sumptuous meals. And I don't know if my dear friend Ricky went there because of the sumptuous meals or for his girlfriend or because of the Bible study. Having said that, however, because of the Bible study, his relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ was restored. And today, I'm a proud partner of gospel work with Pastor Ricky Benitez. And that's what I mean. Let's not give up our friendships. Let us maintain those friendships, but not for the purpose of enjoying the worldly ways of our friends, but for the purpose of bringing them to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. So once again, one of the ways wherein we determine whether we have genuine faith is if we love the people of God. Now, also in verses 4 to 5, we find that if, our, if we have genuine faith, faith has no other gods. Let's have a look at verses 4 to 5 at this time. It says, The sorrows of those who have bartered for another God will be multiplied. I shall not pour out their drink offerings of blood, nor will I take their names upon my lips. Now verse 4 happens to be the only sad note in the entire psalm. It's the only sad note in this entire psalm. And that is why, we have to pay attention to the reason why there is a very sad note to this psalm. What it is actually saying is that those who worship other gods or even those who worship the idols of their own hearts, their sorrows will actually be multiplied. Now one thing we have to understand in the Old Testament 
there were some Jews who had a genuine relationship with the Lord. And you would know that they have a genuine relationship with the Lord. Why? Because they did not worship other gods. Sadly, most especially in the northern kingdom of Israel, when the kingdom was divided, they began to worship not only Yahweh, but they also began to worship gods like Baal and Ashtoreth and many other gods. In other words, although they did not fully abandon Yahweh, they added other gods in their worship life. And that is why they proved to be not genuine believers of Yahweh. They practiced religious syncretism. And the fact that they practiced religious syncretism meant that they were not truly children of God. They were not, they were not truly children of Yahweh. And the same thing can be said of us. Now you might say, but I do not worship any other, other God. I do not worship Baal or I do not worship Ashtoreth or I do not worship Molech or any of those Egyptian gods. I only worship Jesus Christ. I only worship God. And so why should I be faulted? But we need to ask ourselves the question, and, and I believe that it was John Calvin who said that the heart is a factory of idols. Could it be that while you are not worshiping so-called gods like Baal or Ashtoreth or Molech, could it be that you are worshiping your money? Could it be that you are worshiping your business? Could it be that you are worshiping another person in place of Christ? Maybe you're worshiping your husband or you're worshiping your wife or maybe your boyfriend or your girlfriend. Or maybe you're worshiping your promotion, your achievements, your trophies. Are you worshiping those things? If you happen to be worshiping those things, friends, I would like to tell you that has become a God to you. Anything that rivals our affection towards God, anything that we love more than God happens to be a God or an idol. And let me tell you that we are given a warning here that God will multiply our sorrows. Now, in the Mosaic law, they actually prohibited the mentioning the names of other gods. Let me share to you Exodus chapter 23, beginning at verse 13. It says, Now concerning everything which I have said to you, be on your guard. Do not mention the name of other gods, nor let them be heard from your mouth. Deuteronomy chapter 12 verse 2 and verse 3 states this. You shall utterly destroy all the places where the nations whom you shall dispossess serve their gods. On the high mountains and on the hills and under every green tree. You shall tear down their altars and smash their sacred pillars and burn their asherim with fire. And you shall cut down the engraved images of their gods and obliterate their name from that place. So notice they were not even to mention the names of these other gods. God is a jealous God. 
He will not allow any rivals. He will not allow any other affections in our hearts. Our heart should be fully and totally devoted to the Lord. And that is exactly what we find here in the case of David. Notice what David says in verse 5. The Lord is the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You support my lot. Allow me to read it once again. The Lord is the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You support my lot. In other words, what was David saying? David was saying, Lord, you are all that I need. You're all that I need in my life. You are my cup. You are my inheritance. You are my lot. You are the portion of my life. Nothing else truly matters to me except you. You are enough for me. In fact, David was saying that God was more than enough for him. Now, can we say the same thing, dear brothers and sisters? Can we truly and honestly say that God is enough for us? That God is more than enough for us? Do we find great satisfaction in our communion with the Lord? Do we enjoy intimacy with God? Do we enjoy our times of quiet in the very presence of the Lord? Do we delight in waking up in the morning and kneeling down before God and singing our praises before Him, declaring His excellencies? Are we fond of reminding ourselves of the good things that God has done in our lives? Is God dear to our hearts? Is He more than enough to all of us? Let me say this. If God is enough and more than enough, then that means that you do have a genuine relationship with the Lord. Now, a word of warning is given to us in this passage that God will multiply the sorrows of those who worship another God. God will multiply the sorrows who offer libations to other gods. And my prayer to the Lord is that you are not making libations to other gods, either to the God of money or the God of career or the God of your business. May God be your lot and your portion alone. And in that you shall be rewarded. Again, a warning. If you have made idols in your heart, your sorrows will be multiplied. God does not enjoy multiplying your sorrows. God, in fact, wants to comfort us in the midst of our pains and our hurts. He will not remove the pains. He will not remove the hurts. But He will always be there to comfort us. We can always hold the hand of God and the hand of God will order our steps. He will bring us to a large place. He will make us run into a place of refuge. And He will bring deliverance in our lives, either externally or internally. So once again, as, as we, we, we come to the close of the first part of our study, 
may I ask you this question? Do you have a genuine relationship with God? Do you have a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ? If you have been a frequent follower of my sermons, you will notice I always bring it to this point. There are really many intersections in life. But all these intersections, all the trials, all the storms, even all the blessings, all the difficulties that we face in life, all of these intersections are, are meant to bring us to the center. And that center is Jesus Christ. If you are listening to me right now, God wants to bring you to that center of gravity. God wants to bring you to that life, the life that only Jesus can offer. Because what Jesus offers is forgiveness for all of your sins. Not only forgiveness of all your sins, He desires to be the Lord of every aspect of your life. So that as you surrender yourself to Him and make Him the King of every aspect of your life, you are assured that He as your King will take good care of you in every aspect of your life. But His greater concern for you at this time is your salvation. For friend, let me tell you this. If you do not put your hope in Christ in this life, when you die, as the book of Hebrews says, it is appointed that judgment will come. By that time, it will be too late. Put your faith in Christ, for He alone can forgive you of your sins, for He alone can give you the free gift of eternal life, or only He can write your name in the book of life. Only He can establish this relationship with Himself. There is no human remedy that can cause you to have a restored relationship with God. The only solution is Christ. It won't be your good works that will save you. It will not be your money that will save you. It will not be your resources. It will not be any of your achievements or any good thing that you do that will bring about a relationship with the Lord. It is only when you place your full trust on the cross, the death of Jesus Christ, that you will have this genuine relationship. And if I were you, I would turn over my life to Christ right now. And friends, when you turn over your life to Christ, just like David, that genuine faith would be rewarded. And that is what we see in verses 6 to 11. First of all, we find the reward of heritage in verse 6. Allow me to read this. It says in verse 6, The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Indeed, my heritage is beautiful to me. Now, this verse might have been a metaphor wherein David was talking about his blessings. Or, it's possible that he was saying here that God himself was his own blessing. Now, in this pandemic crisis, it's very difficult to think that God could bless you at this time. But during our elders meeting, our youth pastor, Pastor DJ, was sharing to us 
that the blessings of God to him at this time have been quite overwhelming. Now, I'm not sure, of course, that in some of the cases that you and I have, the blessings that we have might be overwhelming. But more than that, just having God himself in our lives is indeed already a tremendous blessing. And then here in verse 7, we find that David talks about the reward of counsel and instruction. It says, I will bless the Lord who has counseled me. Indeed, my mind instructs me in the night. Now, the word bless here means speaking about the excellencies of God. And this is obviously what we need to do when we are worshiping God. We need to declare His excellencies in our lives. And I'm sure that God has done so many excellent and, and magnanimous things in our lives. And obviously, these are things we are to declare in the very presence of God. Now, the beautiful thing that we find here is that the blessing of our faith and devotion to Christ brings about the reward of counsel and instruction. Truth to tell, I have faced so many challenges and so many trials in my life. Not only when I became a Christian, but even in my boyhood years, even in my teenage years, even in my young adult years, and even when I was already in ministry up until this time when I am now approaching my senior citizenship, it has not ended. Sometimes I, I do get to ask God, Lord, when, when will the battles end? When will the challenges end? When will the issues uh, end? When will all these difficulties end? And yet, let me just tell you this. God has kept my sanity. God has kept me strong. God has been my protector. He has been my, my refuge. He has been my security. All through these years, God has provided stability in my life. And how was he able to do that? He was able to do that by counseling me and instructing me as to what I am to do. In the many trials that I have discovered in my life, I was often confounded with all of these things and I would often ask the Lord, Lord, what should I do? What should I be doing? And God in His faithfulness always instructed me as to what I needed to do. And thankfully, as He has ordered my steps, I've done well by the grace of God. And this is something that obviously you and I need. We need instruction at this time. We need God's wisdom. And the book of James tells us that if we are lacking wisdom, we can ask God. And if we are to ask God, we are to ask God without doubting. And He will supply us the wisdom that we need in the face of these trials that we are facing. And, and my are we facing so many trials? Practically everything that you and I are seeing right now is a trial. Every circumstance that we see points to adversity. And do we need the wisdom of God? Obviously we need that. And that is the reward that God gives His children. He will instruct us and He will counsel us. And then in verses 8 and 9, here we find the reward of stability and security. Listen, 
to what verses 8 and 9 state. It says, I have set the Lord continually before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will dwell securely. Now, others interpret verse 8 as the Lord being in front of David and then at my right hand signifying the Lord as holding his life. Well, the basic thought I believe here is God's abiding presence in the life of David. And this is something that you and I have because wherever we go, no matter what we face, you and I have the presence of the Holy Spirit. Remember that the Lord Jesus Christ promised that He would give us the Holy Spirit and that the Holy Spirit will abide in us and with us forever. There is never a time that God will abandon nor forsake us because of the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. That's what you and I have. Others do not have that, but we do have that. We are carriers of the very presence of God. In fact, that is what distinguishes us from those who do not have a relationship with the Lord. And because we have God's abiding presence, we will not be shaken. David says he would not be shaken and that he would dwell securely. And that is exactly what you and I experience as well. Sure enough, we will have trials, but we will not be crushed. Sure enough, we will have adversity, but we will be overcomers. There is nothing that will separate us from the love of Christ. And therefore, we find stability and security in this relationship that you and I have with Christ. Such confidence causes our hearts to gladden and our glory to rejoice. What blessed life you and I have. In verse 10, we find also the reward of resurrection. In verse 10, it reads, For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. Now, of course, this one, this verse, actually has its ultimate fulfillment in the Lord Jesus Christ in the future, coming from where uh, this, uh, this, uh, this point of reference in the Old Testament. This was talking about the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ but obviously this had an immediate fulfillment in the case of David when David says for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol nor will you allow your holy one to undergo decay he was talking about God preserving his life from the threat of death God preserving his life from the threat of death and the same thing is true in our case God can preserve our lives in the midst of COVID-19. I would like to tell you this, brothers and sisters. You are invincible until it is your time to go home to be with the Lord. Let me say it once again. You are invincible until it is your time to, to go and be at home with the Lord. Now, does that mean that we are to be, to be presumptuous? Does that mean that we are not to be mindful of safety protocols? No, 
We are to be mindful of safety protocols. We are not to be presumptuous in our faith. We are still to take care of our bodies. But the whole point of this is that you and I should not live in fear. Can I say that once again? Do not live in fear. Because if it's your time, then it's your time. You can't do anything about it after all. But if it is not your time, you will survive COVID-19. Of course, you do not want to go through this virus and all the symptoms which are really very painful and very hurtful. That is why we need to be careful. But then again, do not live in fear. Now recently, one of the greatest Christian minds, one of the most eloquent speakers that this world has ever known, Ravi Zacharias, went home to be with the Lord. And we all, we all were saddened by his death. There were thousands upon thousands of tributes that were made to him. Some written, some of them on video, uh, some of them uh, through articles and so on and so forth. And indeed, he lived a life worthy of praise and admiration. And before he died, Ravi, in his waning energy, wrote and quoted Richard Baxter. And this is what Richard Baxter said. Lord, it belongs not to my care whether I live or die, or whether I die or live. To love and serve thee is my share, and this thy grace must give. If life be long, I will be glad that I may long obey. If short, why should I be sad to welcome endless day? Christ leads me through no darker rooms than he went through before. He that unto God's kingdom comes must enter by this door. Come, Lord, when grace hath made me meet thy blessed face to see. For if thy work on earth be sweet, what will thy glory be? Then I shall end my sad complaints and weary sinful days and join with the triumphant saints that sing my Savior's praise. My, my knowledge of that life is small. The eye of faith is dim. But tis enough that Christ knows all and I shall be with him. Now as I mentioned to you, this verse finds its ultimate fulfillment in the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But it is likewise a fulfillment or rather a promise for those of us who have a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ. This is what Jesus Christ promised in the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 19. And it says, After a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. And because I live, you will live also. I'd like you to Warm your hearts with this promise, brothers and sisters, that Jesus Christ gave to us. 
He says, because I live, you will also live. So why should we fear? Even if it so happens, God forbid, that COVID-19 ends our very lives, let us trust in the fact that we will still live. We will not have this cessation of life, but rather we will enter into a larger and more beautiful life, a life that is perfect, a life that our dear Ravi Zacharias has entered into, a life that Charles Haddon Spurgeon has entered into, a life that George Whitfield has entered into, a life that John Wesley has entered into. A life that R.C. Sproul has entered into. That is the very life that God has promised to us. And that is why we should not live in fear. For the promise of resurrection is given to us as well. But not only that, in verse 11, finally it says we have the reward of a full life and full joy. It says here, verse 11, you will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of your joy. In your right hand, there are pleasures forever. Now, David here was probably talking about the full life. And this is what God actually promises to us in John chapter 10, verse 10. It says, the thief comes only to steal and kill, that is referring to Satan, and kill and destroy. I, referring to Jesus Christ, came that they might have life and have it abundantly. Now the word life here is Zoe. It speaks about the God kind of life. It speaks about the duration of life and the quality of life. And I believe Jesus Christ was talking about this. He was talking not only about the duration of life, which is everlasting life. He was talking also about the quality of life. That is why eternity for us believers in Christ begins here and now. We live the God kind of life. It is available for us right now because of the presence of the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God has come into our hearts. And the kingdom of God is a kingdom of righteousness. It is a kingdom of joy. It is a kingdom of peace. And that is exactly what you and I are experiencing right now. Why? Because we have the very life of God. David says in your presence is fullness of joy and you know joy is priceless you cannot buy joy you can buy a bed you can buy a mansion you can buy a fancy car you can buy anything that is attractive in this world but i tell you you will never ever be able to buy joy but here is what the bible says in your presence is fullness of joy that is our inheritance that is our lot that is our portion and then the bible says at your right hand are pleasures forevermore this joy will not end in this life. This joy will be forevermore. 
at God's right hand are pleasures forevermore. And that is why if you are truly a child of God, your focus will not be merely on this life. But your greater focus will be in the next life. Because you know that it is a life that is beyond imagination. A life that eye has not seen. A life that ear has not hear, heard. A life that hand has not touched. It is a life that cannot even be described by, by words. There is no eloquence that will be able to describe what heaven is like. But more than the place itself is the person more than the place itself is that you and I will see God face to face and it doesn't get any better than that brothers and sisters and we will enjoy that in life everlasting what a great inheritance we have and so praise be to the Lord for the reward of having a genuine relationship with the Lord what a blessed life do you have this blessed life? Do you have Jesus Christ in your life? I invite you, make Jesus the Lord and the Savior of your life. Today, we will be celebrating communion. And as we celebrate communion, understand that this is an exclusive celebration only for believers in Christ. And so those of you who are viewing me, if you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ at this time, you will not be able to celebrate what the Lord's Supper is all about. But as Gordon Fee likewise said, the Lord's Supper is not only a proclamation of salvation, it is also an invitation for you to come to Christ. And so as I explain the Lord's table to you at this time, I'd like you to please listen well. And I hope and pray that as I celebrate the Lord's Supper only with those who have a genuine relationship with the Lord, you too one day will be able to celebrate it together with us. I'd like to turn our Bibles right now to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians 11, 23 and following. It says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Now, what are we celebrating uh, in the Lord's table? First of all, we celebrate his body. This bread symbolizes the body of Jesus Christ. Do you know that the Bible says that the wages of sin is death? 
And because of that, every person who sins in this world deserves to die. Not only die physically, but die spiritually. And death speaks about an eternal separation from God. And the ultimate expression of that eternal separation is hell. You and I are the ones who are supposed to be nailed to the cross. And you and I deserve to go to hell. But Jesus, by dying on the cross, actually made a step aside. He made our bodies step aside. And instead of our bodies on the cross, it was His body that took the wrath of God. Jesus died to pay for the penalty of our sins. In that we find the doctrine of substitution. Jesus became our substitute. What we were supposed to suffer, the penalty that you and I are supposed to pay for, Jesus paid for it. That is what the bread symbolizes. Now the wine symbolizes the blood of Jesus Christ. And the Bible says in the book of Hebrews, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. In the Old Testament, they, all they always had to make sacrifices to make atonement at the mercy seat for the forgiveness of their own sins. But the sacrifices in the Old Testament was a mere shadow of what Christ was going to do in the New Testament. Through the blood of Christ, this blood was, which was without spot, without stain, without any impurity, this blood cleanses and washes us from all our sins, our past, our present, and our future. And so, again, let me just remind you, you cannot celebrate the Lord's table if you still do not have Christ in your life. But this is something that you could celebrate together with us if you make Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life right now. Because you cannot celebrate something that you do not understand. You cannot celebrate a salvation that you do not have. And so, right now, as we partake of uh, the elements, I'd like us to come before the Lord in prayer. The Bible says we are not to partake of the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. This is a very solemn and sacred ordinance which we cannot take lightly. So, dear friends, can you please bow your heads and close your eyes and shall we all together Come before the Lord, confess our sins, and worship God for what He has done as represented in these symbols. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for our sins and becoming our substitute. And thank you that through your blood, there is now remission of our sins. Thank you, Lord, that we can have salvation 
we can have the free gift of eternal life only through you and only by faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. In salvation, we have no human contributions. All of salvation is all your work and none from us. And for that, we thank you because our names are written in the book of life, not because we deserve it, but because you have granted us grace through the sacrifice of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please uh, take the bread right now. And remember that this symbolizes the body of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Now, let us partake of the cup right now, a symbol of the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses and washes us from all unrighteousness. Let us partake of our grape juice or the wine. Father, we thank you and bless you, Lord, for this blessed Sunday. And thank you, Lord, that we could celebrate what you have done for us. I pray for those who do not have a genuine relationship with you, that they will have it as soon as possible, even today. And for those of us who have a genuine relationship, may we truly treasure the rewards that you give to us because of this relationship. Lord, whatever has been achieved today, we give you back all the glory, all the praises, and the thanks. In Jesus' blessed name we pray. Amen. Please stand by for some of our announcements. We have decided to put the announcements at the end because we want to begin uh, with the Word of God. So please stand by as we uh, make our announcements right now. We are still in general community quarantine and we are still not allowed to have mass gatherings. So all our services are still suspended until further notice. We enjoin you to watch the coverage of our service every Sunday at nine o'clock in the morning by visiting our Facebook page Living Word Christian Churches of Cebu International Incorporated and also our website www.livingword.ph and also our YouTube channel to view all of our services. Our sermon can also be heard over DYFR FM 98.7 on your dial every Saturday and Sunday at 8 o'clock in the evening. We are also seen on Sky Cable Channel 54 from Monday to Saturday at 8 p.m. Kindly check our Facebook page as well because every day we have lined up posts 
catering to our youth, our young adults, our couples, our worship lovers, our children's ministry, and others as well. Let me also announce that we are pre-selling my next book, More Than Enough, at 300 pesos. The regular retail price is 350 pesos, so you get to save 50 pesos if you buy it right now. This book is being offered up until the lockdown. Once the lockdown ends, we go back to our regular retail price. The book is about learning how to conquer trials and sufferings. Kindly text your orders to 0931-037-6944. We also have a new gospel-centered discipleship material entitled Knowing Christ. It is available for only 150 pesos. Kindly text the number on your screen. Please do not forget also that we have an interactive midweek table talk every Wednesday live at 2 p.m. We are going through a series on the book of Revelation. Also, we have live intercession every Friday at 2 p.m. We'd like you to join us for prayers and intercession. Also, our own Bible school, International Bible Institute, is now offering online teaching in church history, CH305. Once again, this is online teaching. The deadline of enrollment is July 2, and the start of online teaching is this July 7. The schedule of online teaching would be Tuesdays at 10 o'clock in the morning. Now, do not worry if... uh, You cannot view this uh, on Tuesday at 10 o'clock in the morning because after all, this is pre-recorded and therefore can be viewed beginning at 10 o'clock in the morning upwards on Tuesday. I will personally be facilitating this class. IBI is also offering Old Testament 103 course, the Kingdom Period. This is only a correspondence course so you can enroll in Old Testament 103 deadline of enrollment is also on July 2 we can deliver your IBI materials through LBC or you can get your materials at the Living Word Center in Banawa finally I'd like to share about our giving channels understand that the work of the Lord continues on because of the faithful giving of God's people. That is why we thank the Lord for those believers who continue to be a blessing to this ministry. This ministry can only continue with your help and support. So you can deposit your love offerings to the following banks. Banco de Oro, account name is LWCCCII. Account number is 0010006080. We also have a BPI account. Account name is Living Word Christian Ministry Cebu Incorporated. Account number is 10210234 We also have an RCBC account. 
Account name is LWCCCII. Account number is 1452005286. You may also send your love offerings and donations online through our website. Go to www.livingword.ph and click Give and click on your giving preferences. So that's it, brothers and sisters. Thank you so much for uh, keeping me company and joining us for our Sunday worship service. God bless you. Enjoy the Lord's Day. Please stay safe. My wife and uh, my son AJ says hi and goodbye to all of you. God bless you. See you next time.